I kind of wanted to spend this last, last half of the class today focusing on some direction from Paul in the book of Romans because I, I think sometimes there's a lot of people out there that's not sure, uh, you know, what is my purpose? Uh, you know, what is the, the plan and how do I fit in and, and these kinds of things. <clears throat> and I know there's a lot of people that, that do know, but there's some, a lot of people who don't also. And I wanted to kind of take us down some things that Paul says here in his addressing to the Romans. And in fact, I, Paul does, his writings to the Romans is, is really a, a masterpiece, I think, in many ways. Um, because his entire chapters 1 through 11, basically, if you read them, are an excellent layout of the work of the Lord, the plan of salvation, how God is going to provide for Israel in chapters 8 and 9. And he goes through this huge rendition of the overall work of God, of which the saints were to be a part of. And then in chapter 12, he turns to the personal. He goes, here's the great work of God. He lays it all out. And then in chapter 12, he goes to you as an individual, what is your, your role? How, how are you to be a part of this? And so I want to turn to chapter 12. The first part of this is a very familiar scripture uh, to you, but I want to kind of break it down a little bit of some things. Chapter 12 of Romans. Romans, yep. Book of Romans. And beginning with verse 1. And really, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 8 here. I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of go back and break this down a little bit. <clears throat> Paul, speaking to the Romans here, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. For I say through grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to God, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members... In one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one uh, members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So this is a pretty um, direct statement by Paul to the saints of what individually they need to start looking at doing as being part of this greater work that he lists in chapters 1 through 11. And he starts off here by saying that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that's a reference to something that, of course, in the Old Testament, they were to present a sacrifice, and it was, it was a dead sacrifice, right? It was a sacrifice of an animal that was, uh, you know, usually a lamb that was slain in representation. And they were to present that uh, as part of their sacrifice. And here, he takes that old understanding, and he says, if you're going to be part of this work, you must present your body, 
not an animal, not something else, your body as a living sacrifice. And the thing about a living sacrifice is, right, a dead one, it's on the altar, it's there. As a living sacrifice, you have the option of whether to remain on the altar or get up and get off the altar. We're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice for Christ. Now, I thought a lot about this, you know, there are some people who, um, you know, putting our, our, our whole bodies, our whole beings of who, what, and who we are, uh, that is a response to the love of God to us first. To be willing to lay down our lives, right, and spiritually lay it down, and our wills, and lay it on the altar. And the thing is, I know there's some people out there who said, you know, well, I've been so bad in my life. This, this is a falsehood, by the way. This is, this is a satanic measure. I've done so many things in my life that have not been so good that I could never be that living sacrifice for God. I, I just, I don't have it in me. I just, I'm not worthy of that. That is not true, okay? That is not true. The thing about the altar, okay? The altar sanctifies or makes holy the sacrifice, it's not the other way around. It's not the, it's not the sacrifice. It is, it is what it is being laid on and laid down to do. Okay? If you are willing to repent of your sins and lay down your life through the merits and atonement of Christ, you can be made holy. And I've got a great example of this. And I think I've maybe shared this out here at Buckner Reunion before, but there are several that haven't been here, so I'm going to share it again. I, I know this, this man who uh, he was... He was a biker. His name was Charlie. He was a womanizer. He did all kinds. He says, anything you think of that, that you could do that's sinful, he says, I probably have done it. He said, I was not a good person. I was wild. And he ended up uh, coming in contact with this uh, Latter-day Saint lady. Uh, and uh, eventually his heart was changed somewhat. He ended up marrying her. And eventually he went to church with her. And uh, eventually he became baptized. He wanted to be baptized. Uh, she won him, by the way. I got to say this, ladies. She won him without a word, as the proverb says. She didn't nag him. She, didn't, she was devoted. She was faithful. She loved him in that marriage covenant. And eventually she won him over without a word because of the love of Christ that she demonstrated. He was converted and he joined uh, the, the gospel. And was baptized. Uh, a few years after that, he was called to the office of priest. He had changed. He cleaned up his life, right? He uh, was called to the office of priest. Um, he was at a reunion one year, and uh, he asked uh, if Daniel and I could come to his camper. And uh, I said, you know, we'll, we'll we'll meet you there. He and his wife were in there, and as we got in there, and he doesn't mind me sharing this. He shared it himself. This is all public knowledge, so. Uh, he said, I, I, have, I have a lot of these doubts that have been placed in my mind. And he says, they go along the lines of, after all you've done in your life, how do you ever think you can be a minister for the Lord? You've done all these horrible things. And he says, I can't get it out of my mind. And it makes me just, I, I'm sick. And uh, he went on and described this and how, you know, he'd pray about it and they'd leave for a while. And then those thoughts would come back. And in that moment, as we were listening to him, you could tell the pain that was there about the things that, and he was truly sorrowful. 
And we asked him, I said, have, have you laid those down before the Lord? He said, yes, I, I repent of all. I said, then why do you keep digging them up? It says, right, though your sins be as, as uh, scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. And I quoted out of Isaiah 40, right, where it says, you know, even I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, right? And uh, I will remember your sins no more. I said, you've laid those down. I said, when you were baptized, you, you did away with all that stuff. And he said, yeah, I know, but he says, I can't get these thoughts out of my mind. And this is the devil working, right? And then the Lord, I, I really just opened my mind, and I said to him, I said, Charlie, I said, do you realize? I says, you have a greater power of ministry than anybody else in this room. And he says, what do you mean? I says, you've been there. I said, you have a better opportunity to minister to people in those situations than myself, than Daniel, than anybody else here. Why? You've been there. You've tasted of the bitter. You've found the atonement of Christ and the power of his redemption. I said, you above all people have the ability to minister in ways that I could never minister. And I says, and furthermore, Satan knows it. I said, he's after you because you have a great ministry to provide because you have overcome with Christ. And his eyes got big. He says, I never thought of it that way before. That's great. I said, yeah, it's great. I said, this is what the Lord is doing in your life. And I says, and Satan is trying to derail it by getting you to see it in not the right way. And he did. From that, uh, he, he said, this, this, this helps me. This is what I needed to hear. And uh, he later on was called the office of elder, I believe. And uh, the point being here is that it's not the past that's the most important thing. Laying down your life as a living sacrifice is what you're willing to do in the moment now. God is not concerned about that which was before if you repent and lay it down before him. But the problem is we want to dig it back up, right? And that's what keeps a lot of us from part of the great marvelous work. We don't think we can do it. Satan gets us to believe that you can't be a part of the work because of this or that or some other thing. And that's completely false. It's not true. And so for us to make our lives a living sacrifice, to lay it on the altar, to lay it down as the least that we can do for Christ because of what he's done for us, right? Our sister over here. Um, <clears throat> I actually have two points to that whole discussion. Um, the first one is the body is living sacrifice you also got to look at it too that if for some reason that God takes you early, He it said I don't know what scripture it is, but you're gonna get a new body. The body you're in right now, you're just trying to make it into a temple so that way you can get through the ways of the world. But then when Zion does come, or if you do go to heaven, you are gonna get a new body, and you have to realize that too. It just depends on how you choose to go about being able to get that body when you do leave. And then the second part is, and I reached out to all the young ladies that are in here, brother, um, Brown is correct, with you can win someone over when you're looking for your partner when you get older. Because my late husband, he gave up not only drinking and women and cigarettes to be with me, he also chose to allow my father, who is an elder in the church, to come in and teach him 
and my children. So if you can keep the faith and show that your faith is strong and you have that temple-like feeling of yourself toward God, you can win someone over no matter how bad they are because everybody has a spark in them no matter what they did, and it can be changed. You just have to work with them and be very patient when you do it. Yeah, our bodies uh, in the resurrection, it references our bodies that are corruptible to become uh, incorruptible in, in, the, in the in resurrection. So it's the least that we can do is to lay down our lives, right, to make that living sacrifice uh, for him, which means that we do it every single day, right? And he goes on to say, right, this is your reasonable service. This is the least you can do, right, for the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you. It's your reasonable service to him. It's reasonable, okay? And I, I think about that of are we willing to lay down the way he laid down his life, right? And he's not necessarily asking us to go through a crucifixion, but he is asking us to lay down all that we are, all that we can be, and to lay it before him. And not to take up the things of the past, right? How often do you go to a sacrament of the Lord's Supper, a service like that, and... Uh, <clears throat> People sometimes make the mistake of going to that and, and saying, okay, I'm here and I'm here to dwell on all of my sins before the Lord. That's not what it's for, right? That should already be done before you ever come to the service. All of those things should be repented of and laid down. The whole point of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper when he says, do this in remembrance of me, is to bring your whole focus and attention and your desires and your view back on him. That through the power of his resurrection, that we are made new in him. And the longer we keep looking at our sins, the more we're going to get confirmed in. Brother Oakman says that. The longer we look at our own sins, the more confirmed we become in them. The best thing to do is to lay them down and not take them up anymore. And to move forward with an eye single to his glory. And so that's part of what a living sacrifice does, is to lay it down looking forward, not taking up the things that maybe have been imperfect in our lives in the past. By the way, you're going to beat yourself up if you do that. It's going to be terrible. Don't do it. It will be a burden that will crush you. And that's what was happening to this, this man. Because if Satan can keep you shackled to the things of the past, right, it's almost as if Christ hadn't been able to redeem you. And that's not true. He redeems all who come to him. And there's nothing short of our own agency that can stop the hand of Christ from reaching out and pulling you out of darkness and bringing you into the light. That's the beauty of Christ. We have uh, one hand here and one back here. Let's get Sister Alberta first, and then we'll come over here. My brother is John Mundy. And if any of you know John Mundy, he, he tries to go to scriptures where anything you ask him, he will back it up with scripture. His background is not near so great. And he will tell you he's much like the gentleman you talked about, that there wasn't much he hadn't done from the time he was young. So, therefore, he had it. And I have a testimony that Excuse me, but when I wanted to quit smoking, I had smoked in front of my husband. I had smoked 
But there were people in the church that still at that time did not know that I had smoked for years and years and years. I decided that I didn't want to smoke anymore because there was places you could not go and smoke even at that time. And I just felt it wasn't right in my body. So Max Wilkinson and John administered to me. I threw them away before I went to reunion that year. <clears throat> and John and Max administered to me. And all desire was taken away. And my son Stephen said, Mom, I know it had to be God because you don't have that much willpower, which I didn't because whenever it came up to it, that's what it was, was willpower. I was truly blessed, but it was not a blessing that I haven't had to live with because I know that if I ever pick one up again, I will never, ever quit. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. But therefore, my children have tried to quit in the same way, but there has to be a desire to stop whatever you're doing to do it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> therefore, I do have it. I got, I had the desire and I quit for that reason, but it took God to help me because of my willpower. Yeah, if, if the desire is there, the Lord can do a lot of things in our lives if we have the desire. Uh, sister over here. When you were talking about her sin and turning away and not looking back, um, wasn't it Lot's wife? I mean, she turned back and she turned and salt. And I've, I've thought about that in symbolic or what with, with that also is the fact because you do become a prisoner of that sin, you're looking to that instead of to the Lord. Yeah. And so you, it, it, it's, it causes you not to have the strength or the will to be able to, uh, to resist it. The other thing is that the Heavenly Father honors our agency. Our Christ gave his life for that. And our love for someone else, our desire for them, we can pray. We, as a group, you know, the more that helps. But the reality is the desire has to come from within, from them. Yep. With all that we would desire for them, whether it's a child, whether it's a future spouse. And I, I, I rejoiced with the testimony of what took place with this dear one, with her husband and what happened in their lives and it can happen but I think we need to let our young ones know yep. there's a reason why the Lord says to come together and be equally yoked yep. because even under the best of those circumstances you're going to work daily yeah. daily with him working within you unto that perfection Jim and I will be married 56 years and people will say, oh, that's wonderful. I said, that's the Heavenly Father. <laughs> we went before the Father, and we made a promise to him and to each other in front of those who loved us. And they have, through the years, supported us and, and were great role models and set a good example. But in and of ourselves, there is no way. Yeah. We are both strong-willed, 
the Lord has polished us. We've done some repenting, which in essence means when we repent, we return to him, to his way. Yep, that's exactly right. And it is uh, very important to to be equally yoked. You're absolutely right in that kind of relationship. Uh, That's always the best way. It's difficult, but it's even more difficult if you're not. So Um, there's one thing that you mentioned there of... uh, of turning our away from the Lord, and Brother Mike had mentioned it there. Uh, you want to share that, Mike? Uh, I thought that was a really good statement there. He mentioned uh, between our break there. Mike talked earlier about walking in, in darkness at, uh, at noonday, and, and uh, I've shared this with Michael before, but and most of you have probably heard it too. And the statement is, is that when I turn my back to the light of Jesus Christ then I begin walking in the darkness of my own shadow. That's exactly right. Sometimes uh, we're, we're our worst enemies, right? I, I've seen the enemy, and I am he in the mirror, right? So in verse 2, he goes on, and he's, he's talking about being part of this work individually, and he says, lay your bodies down as a living sacrifice. And then he says in verse 2, and be not conformed, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. You know, we do, our actions always follow our thoughts. As a man thinketh, so he is, right? As we begin to think certain things, right, what our attention is on, what our mind is on, our actions are going to follow that. And so he's basically saying, be transformed by the Spirit, right? That's the only way really we can transform our minds. Be transformed by his Spirit, okay? And not conform to this world. How many times have we heard, my thoughts are greater than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways, right? And to change our thought process about the Lord Jesus in terms of what he's doing in our lives He says in here that if you not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that you may prove. The whole point of this is you may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Okay? The thing about it is he's going to prove to you, if you change your mind, he will prove to you what is the good way, what is an acceptable way for you in your life, right? And what is the perfect way he has for you. Now, I've seen that happen in the lives of individuals. When they humble themselves, we talked about humility the other day, and by the power of the Spirit, they change their minds about things that they think and let the Spirit start to lead them. It allows the Lord to prove to you that there is a good and acceptable and perfect way he has in your life. And that's the way that is proved. But you have to be willing to not conform to the thinking of this world, right? that you be transformed by the power of his spirit. And that's difficult for us to do because we grow up as young children, right, thinking and being taught in the ways of the world. And unless we have a good counter in our worship experiences and in our homes, more importantly, it's really about the home. The church should be the supplement to support that, but the home is where it's at. Unless there is a transforming of the minds of our children from not conforming to this world, it's going to be hard for the Lord to prove to them what the good and the acceptable and the perfect will he has for them is. They have to seek him out. And I I love this because God will not leave anything out 
it will nothing will be overlooked no details in your life will not be handled by the lord if it's in his perfect will for you right he says i, I do nothing that i don't prepare the way for it to be done right and to have that faith and trust in that. Now, there's a lot of people who are seeking. I don't know what the Lord's will is for my life. I don't know what he wants me to do. I've heard a lot of people say that, right? And, and my answer to them always is, right, you're going to have to, you know, I, I quote this scripture. Be not transformed by the thinking of this world, right? Don't I'm sorry, don't be conformed to it, but be transformed from it. That if you do that and be led by the Spirit, he's going to prove to you, if you lay it down and ask him, he will let you know what that good and acceptable and perfect will for you is. And that may be different for you than what you think. That's the problem. We always have in our mind, we're trying to tell the Lord what we want to do and not let him prove to us what the perfect will is for us. And that, that's a struggle we all have, I think, at times, in one way or another. And he goes on to say, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is always the cause of poor thinking. We think high, more highly than we should of ourselves. But to think, I love this, think soberly, okay? Think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of his faith. The measure of faith. Now I think about that. Do we think soberly and realistically under the influence of the good spirit of what the Lord's will is for our lives to be part of this work. Some of you have certain talents and gifts and abilities that you're using already. Some people say, I don't know what my gifts are. Go to the Lord and ask. Find out. But when you find out, it's not for you to use just however you want, right? It's for you to lay them. Now, this is the beautiful part. It's to lay those gifts once you figure out what the Lord has given you to do or those gifts you have is to lay them right back at the feet of the cross, right back at Jesus' feet and say, okay, Lord, I'm the living sacrifice. What do you want me to do with these now? How do you want them implemented in a perfect, good, and acceptable way? And he says he will give this right to us. The Holy Ghost is very, I think the Holy Ghost is the most realistic thing on the earth. It tells us things as they are. Right? There's no fluffing it up. There's no thinking more highly than we are. It reveals things as they are, the truth, right? So we have to be sober in our thoughts, and he reveals this to us. And he, he, we have been given the measure of faith to do our job and our calling. That's what's interesting to me. Every one of you have been given the degree of faith. It says it right here. God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. When people sometimes claim, I don't think I have enough faith for this, and then my first thought process based on this scripture is, Maybe you're trying to do the wrong job. If he's given you the measure of faith for that which he has given you to do in your life, maybe you're, I don't know, but maybe you're doing the wrong job. Maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. He has given you the measure of the faith you need for his perfect will in your life. I love that scripture because sometimes it's not a lack of faith. It's just trying to do something else and doing, uh, being a part of the body of Christ in a way that we weren't created to be. This is true of priesthood, too, by the way. Right? So he has given every man uh, that degree of faith, measure of faith. For as we have many members in the one body, and all members have not the same office. Not all of us have the same gifts or the same talents or the same uh, uh, abilities. And that's good. That's not a bad thing, right? It would be terrible if we all had the exact same things, right? 
but I'm strengthened when I hear you guys sing. I love hearing the singing. I'm, I'm ministered to when I hear, you know, somebody preached, you know, Joe or someone speaks. I'm ministered to when I see others go out and they do acts of service and kindness. And I heard about Mark's testimony of helping this morning. And, you know, we all have gifts and abilities, right? And we all are jointly fit together into this body with those gifts. So that we being many are one body in Christ, every one members one of another. This is, the, this is the, the beauty of the great marvelous work. He's bringing together all of these talents and gifts for the purpose of his kingdom. He's given the faith necessary, and if we will be of sober mind and not be too haughty in our thinking of what we ought to be, he will show us the perfect and good and acceptable plan for our lives of how we fit in the whole picture. And it may not be what we think, Okay. He goes on, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy, some prophesy according to the proportion of faith. There is a reference to faith again. They'll prophesy according to the faith that has been given them for that particular function. Or ministry, let us wait on ministering, giving aid. That's what ministering is, is to give aid and, and assistance. If it's teaching, they'll teach. If it's exhortation, they exhort and urge and warn. But then he gives us these two very important points here in verse 8. Right? Here's the good counsel Paul gives to any saint. If you give, give with simplicity. Don't make it complicated. Don't think more of yourself than you are. Give in simplicity. Lay it out there. This is your gift from the Lord. Right? If you rule... You must do it with diligence. If that's your responsibility, if you're a pastor, if you're a father in your household and you're, that's your responsibility as spiritual leadership, then you must do it with diligence. There's nothing worse than a leader who's supposed to lead and then doesn't and, or leads terribly and it leaves everybody else in chaos, right? That's why you have to be diligent. If your job is to rule, you must be diligent. And you must always show mercy with cheerfulness. Not grudgingly, not because, oh, you know, that's what I should do. Show mercy with cheerfulness, right? Because that's the nature of Christ. Those three things there in verse 8 are just great points of counsel from Paul to every Latter-day Saint. No matter what your responsibility is, do these three things. Give with simplicity. If you rule, do it with diligence. And show mercy with cheerfulness. Paul had a good understanding as an apostle the message of Christ, but also how to relate it to the Gentiles. That was his gift. That's the faith he was given, right? And many of you have been given gifts to minister to certain people. Some people are good at, at ministering to the youth. Some people are good at ministering to the elderly. I know a, a, a man who's an elder in the church, not a great preacher, but in his eldership, he went every single Sunday to the hospital, and he went to see all of the elderly, all the infirmed, people who had need, people who were lonely, right? And he gave mercy in cheerfulness. And that was his ministry. It wasn't high profile, but boy, did he provide a ministry. And people were blessed. I've seen some people are great with the youth. They know how to, to reach out to youth. Some people who are great with uh, marriage counsel. Whatever it is. Everybody has their gifts and abilities, but lay them down at the feet of the master and let him use them 
according to the degree of faith he has given you. And if you think you're struggling in your faith, maybe go to the Lord and make sure that you're actually doing the thing that he is asking you to do. Maybe it's not the faith to the measure that he's given for what you're trying to do. Something to think about. Something to ask the Lord about. Okay? Ask him about it. Brother Eric. Um, that you've already kind of touched on this, but I just wanted to, to bring it out that we often think of gifts as uh, singing, playing the piano, preaching, uh, but there's, you know, there's gifts of, uh, as you're saying, that people can work with youth, they can minister to elderly. Some people can do that. They know how to talk to older people and to listen to them and to, you know, help support them. Some, um, and the other thing is that uh, you also mentioned, you know, gifts that people, some people don't know what their gifts are. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are these, these gifts that we can develop. I know uh, <clears throat> just, you know, myself that there are things that I found that if I worked on them, mm -hmm. uh, I, they opened up to a greater degree than, than I had expected yeah. them to open up. And, and I say this more to probably the youth than anything, because as adults, a lot of us have, have figured these things out, but... Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the thing is, there's a lot of gifts that go untapped because uh, we don't uh, we don't know what the Lord has in store, and we haven't gone to the Lord about it. If we would go and ask, right, and go prayerfully uh, seeking Him out, I think we would find that He would reveal to us. And then we're to, we're told to cultivate the gifts that we have, right, to use them. Uh, the old adage is, right, if you don't use it, you lose it, right. That's true. Uh, you have to use those things that the Lord has given you for his sake, for his purposes, not our own. Not our works, it says, but in his purpose, right? And that's the key. So if we're a part of this work, okay, we are told and have the promise that we, as Latter-day Saints, if we're faithful, we trust him, that the Lord is going to prevail. I read you yesterday at the end of class about the victory and all glory is, is his, right, through diligence and keeping the commandments and so forth. There is a promise in, found in the book of Revelation. I kind of want to end on this kind of thought today and then give you an opportunity to share anything else that you would like. Um, I want to turn to the book of Revelation today. It's kind of the last few points I want to make here. Revelation chapter 12. And I'm looking at <clears throat> verse 11. There are two ways how the saints will overcome Satan. Both involve Christ, by the way. Because we can't do it on our own. The two ways are found in verse 11. For they, speaking of the saints, have overcome him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their own lives, right? Because it was a living sacrifice. But kept the testimony even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell in them. So how are the saints going to overcome Satan? By the blood of the Lamb 
the atonement of Christ and by the word of their testimony. And who are they testifying of? Christ. Both of them involve Christ. Okay? By the word of their testimony. Now, this is really important for us to understand. The blood of the lamb is powerful. And I can do a whole class on applying the blood of the lamb. That's a whole different thing. But so is the testimony of Jesus. It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Your testimony is powerful. That's why prayer and testimony services, if you miss them, you're missing out because we don't probably understand the value of them. Every time you get a chance to bear witness of Christ in your life, do it. In fact, if you go to section 76, you want to know one of the key differences between celestial, terrestrial, and celestial glory? One of the key points is whether you're valiant in your testimony or not. <clears throat> it says the terrestrial glory, the glory of the moon, right, are honorable men of the earth, but they were not valiant in the testimony of Jesus, which implies that those in celestial glory were valiant in the testimony of Jesus. And in celestial glory, it says they received not the testimony of Jesus while on the earth, but later received it later. So the testimony of Jesus is critical, and not only is it critical for our, uh, the, the glories of where we're resurrected to, but it's more also important for overcoming Satan, period. Your testimony has the power with the blood of the lamb to overcome the works of the devil. That's how powerful it is. That's why he wants to destroy your testimony. He knows that the testimony of the saints has the power to, with the blood of the lamb to overcome. That, that is what is in your hands. And he doesn't want you to know that, and he doesn't want you to use it, and he doesn't want you to exercise it. So the best thing you can do is to always bear the testimony, the word of their testimony, and the blood of the Lamb. And they love not their own lives. You lay down your life as a living sacrifice for Christ. Right? These are the, these are the qualified saints that Satan actually fears. You want to know what Satan actually fears? Saints that are qualified. And that's why he's doing everything he can to keep you from belonging to the work, being in the work, having the testimony of the work, and exercising your faith in this great and marvelous work of the last days. So, in closing, as far as my part's concerned, and then if you have questions or comments, I want to go back then to our theme, section four. Behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that ye serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, that ye may stand blameless before God at the last days. Therefore, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. For behold, the field is white, all ready to harvest. And lo, he that thrusteth in his sickle with his might, the same layeth up in store that he perish not, but bringeth salvation to his soul. And faith, hope, and charity, there's the trinity of grace, and love with an eye single to the glory of God, qualifies him for the work. But also remember, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, and diligence. Those are the attributes you still have to have, even if you're qualified. If you ask, ye shall receive, knock, and it shall be opened unto you, all men. That scripture should thrill your souls, because every one of you are called because you have a desire. 
cultivate the qualities that allow you to do the work. Nurture those gifts, those fruits that uh, have been given to you. Humility, patience and yielding, right? Diligence, increase your knowledge, right? Have greater charity and love because you see them through the eyes of Christ and see what they can be. See what each one of you can be in your celestial form. Have you ever tried to stop and imagine that? If you stop and try to pray for someone, it's pretty hard to stay too miffed at someone if you truly stop and pray for them and try to view them in their celestial form. That's a discipline, and it takes a little practice, but it'll change your life. I want to open up here in closing. We've got just a few minutes left here. If you have any other questions or comments uh, for anything from today or through the week, I want to give that opportunity today. Uh, I have appreciated the comments all through the week. It's been good and sharing uh, and questions that you guys have had. Brother Mike. Relative to, <clears throat> to section four, Michael, I, I asked you earlier in, in class if, if you had ever studied about the, the, the difference between might and strength, strength because they seem so synonymous. And I did a little bit of study on that, and it turns out that might <coughs> is in reference to power or the spiritual capability to perform the work, whereas strength is in reference to the physical capability of performing the work that's necessary. So one spiritual, more physical. Exactly, and I'd yeah. like to also, I, I'm sure somebody else is gonna do it too, but I really wanna thank you for this class. It's okay. just been absolutely wonderful and enlightening as it always is. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, appreciate being here. I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, with you guys this week. It's been good, really good. Sister Sean. I did have something that goes back a couple days that I've thought about often, but mm -hmm. so whenever Satan came before the Lord, you know, and wanted to, to have all the power, and Christ said, no, the glory be thine, and all that, and when he was on earth, there's people who tried to worship him, and he said, no, don't worship me, worship my father, and pray to my father, and that type of thing, mm -hmm. but then uh, when we read in Revelation, we know that the angels were worshiping mm -hmm. the lamb whenever he was there to open mm -hmm. the seals and all that, or read the book or whatever. So I guess my question is, was it the crucifixion that was the switch to where we now worship Christ as well? Or, I mean, I'm assuming that, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really the resurrection in particular. Um, if Jesus would have just died and there was no resurrection. He'd just been another good man, a good teacher that would have died. It was the power of the resurrection and his ascension. In fact, remember he told him, don't touch me at this point. I haven't ascended yet to my father. And uh, it's the, when he ascended, he says that he was given all power then because of his sacrifice and the resurrection. He was given all power in heaven and earth by his father. And so from that point on, yes, he said on at that point, right, he was not exalted. Right? He came down to the depths of humanity. When he was here on earth, he was, he was in the form of man. Right, He was the embodiment of the kingdom in what it could be in man, but he was still in human form. It was after his resurrection and his ascension that he was given all power and all authority 
to be set on the right hand, and then after that, right, all the angels, right, glorified him. And that's really what they were testifying of. Even the angels, when he was born, they were testifying of, right, glory to God in the highest and on peace, on earth peace, goodwill to men, because now is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And that was the beginning of, the, of the, that process of him making that sacrifice, but it was after his resurrection and the ascension that things yeah, changed in heaven as far as the worship and him being exalted on the right hand of the Father. Yeah. In fact, that's what Joseph and Oliver in, um, in the Doctrine and Covenants talk about. They said, uh, uh, this is the testimony we give, last of all, that he lives, for we have seen him on the right hand of the Father, uh, full of glory and truth, and uh, we know that he lives. We've seen him. Yeah. Yes? Uh, Michael, I have, uh, I have a best friend from, from the age of five. And uh, we went to the same church growing up, and when we were we were juniors in high school, and I speak this because I want the youth to hear it. He fell away from from Jesus. He fell away from God, and uh, our friendship continued. And uh, about two years ago, he called me up on the phone. After our last conversation, our last conversation went like this. He goes, Joe, I know that God doesn't exist. And this is one of the more highly intelligent people on the planet, I think. And uh, I said, Mark, I said, I know that he's real. And we, we, we talked about it for uh, the night. I ended with this. I said, Mark, I said, someday, I said, I'm going to stand before our Father. And when I stand before him, I don't, I don't want him to say, why didn't you try to talk to Mark more about me? Why didn't you share the love of Jesus with him more. About two years ago, he, he had called me on the phone and he said, Joe, I want to thank you for your walk. You, have, you haven't always had to talk to talk, but I've noticed that you've walked the walk. And I know now that Jesus is real that God's got a work for you to do. This all happened about the same time that uh, <clears throat> that Bob Gilbert and Steve Willie came over to my house and gave me my calling to the priesthood. And uh, <clears throat> that doesn't just happen. That's, that's the divine spirit. That's our holy God. He's real. He has so many gifts for everyone in here. And uh, <clears throat> I want to thank you for uh, teaching the class, um, being diligent in your studies, and that uh, when you enter the priesthood, I have learned that you have to study it out. You have to be in our scriptures. You have to be praying. 
And I will take from this for union that I have to be more diligent in my faith and in my studies. And when you get up there on the pulpit, you have, you've had to have practiced and prayed. You see, these elders, they've been doing this for a while. They've been bringing it to God for a long time. We have to continue to practice. Let's practice on one another. Because sometime very soon we're all going to stand in front of him. Let's have him say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. I like your testimony. Um, you know, we never want anybody over ourselves, but when we bear witness of Christ, when we demonstrate in our lives, the testimony of Christ has the power to change every heart. And uh, that's a great example of that. And it thrills me to hear those kinds of testimonies because that is how powerful the testimony of Jesus is and how he can work and he can change hearts like that in a second. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes longer, but sometimes he can move just like that. And either way, he does it what's best for that individual. But bearing witness and testimony by word and by deed is really critical. Sister right behind you. When you shared with us about when Christ was crucified and then he was here for a while and then he returned and then he, the, the process, he received the what, translation, whatever. Anyway, he was transfigured, okay? Yeah. When we leave this life and we return to him, to the Heavenly Father, is that a part of that too? Because we know this life is temporal, this body is temporal. So when we've completed our time here and fulfilled our purpose and we return to the Father, then that puts us in the next place for him to be able, I, I'm just asking, you know, I'm just asking. Because one of the other thoughts I had was about the three Nephites, yeah. those that asked to remain here, yes. and about what, John the Beloved? John the Beloved, right. Also, what, you know, I just. Yeah, they, they asked specifically to stay and do a special work in the Lord granted because of their love for their fellow man and they were changed to some degree where they would not experience the physical limitations of, of that, but it says they would still sorrow over the souls of men who would not respond. Uh, but they were, they were uh, special, uh, a change specially took place in them for that ministry that they were to do. But without getting into the whole idea of the resurrection today, uh, you know, our, our souls are, are go back to God the moment that we die, and uh, there we, uh, we, we are we were brought right before him initially, uh, and and that's we can get into all that. But I've heard it, you know, from the pulpit, different ones testify that if we are, if we desire to be with the Lord, mm -hmm. we must be willing to walk and follow and be willing to sacrifice as He has sacrificed. Right, right. that's true, and, and and that's just it. You know, a lot of us, you know. We say we want to follow the master. Do you really know what that means? I want to be like Jesus. Do you really know what that means? You know, I want to join in the fellowship of, of the body of Christ. What does that really mean? That means to be willing to lay down our, our wills, our desires. And that's not a bad thing. I know we kind of look at this as, oh, that's a infringing upon me. What we'll find if we do it, we'll find a greater freedom than we've ever had. We'll find a greater joy than the world could offer. Initially, it seems like we're giving something up. But in really laying it down, we gain far more than we think that we're giving up because we just don't see the uh, end result. It says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. 
that yes, this difficult time of going to the cross, which it was, but the joy set before him was knowing that he did, number one, the will of his father whom he loved, and that all mankind would be have the opportunity to come back into their presence. And so that was the joy that was set before him. He was willing to endure the cross. If we're willing to endure our daily crosses and willing to lay down our lives, the joy that actually is set before us is far greater than what we think we're giving up. It really is. All right. I want to thank each of you for the week. It's been great. Uh, the opportunity to share together and study. Keep studying your scriptures. All right. Keep praying to the Lord. Ask him. And when you feel him near... Make sure that you respond by praying to him, all right? I'm going to ask if, uh, Luke, would you offer a closing prayer for us today as we leave? Our dear God in heaven, Lord, I come to you now at this time as the close of this uh, class is drawn to the end, Lord. And uh, as we will depart from here uh, and continue to walk these grounds for a short time, Lord, I would uh, pray... Uh, a, a gratitude of thanks for you, Lord, for being here in this uh, class setting as uh, you have uh, opened up uh, thy mouth of thy servant that has prepared to bring uh, forth thy word that you would uh, have us uh, to hear, Lord, that uh, we would be able to uh, turn it into our lives and to take thy heedings that we would uh, be able to live it instead of just saying it, Lord, as we have been told multiple times, Lord, that we would uh, be able to do that to... Uh, uh, stretch forth through the higher higher mount that you have called for us that we would uh, never forget you and just continue to bless us on these grounds lord in this beautiful day you've given us that uh, we would stay uh, safe and uh, healthy to be able to uh, feel thy spirit continually throughout the rest of the day and just uh, bless us all in uh, jesus name we pray amen amen thank you